I'm so, uh, so glad you're here this morning. I wanna start just, just asking, anybody else pumped up about the Olympics going on right now? I just love the Olympics. Yeah, um, in, in our household, Jamie and I, I are like glued to it. We have it on all the time to the point where our kids are frustrated because no matter what they have on TV, we're changing the channel to the Olympics. I mean, it just frustrates them. In fact, this past weekend, I came home from church and, and all my three girls were on the couch um, watching one of the worst, sappiest romance movies I've ever like, seen in my life. It's called, it's called Five Feet Apart. Anybody else seen this movie before? It's, it's about two teenagers that have this rare health condition, but they fall in love, but they can't be within five feet of each other or they might die. So the whole movie is literally them being five feet apart, just looking at each other's eyes, just like, I love you. <laughs> you know, they literally, I mean, they literally have to hold hands holding a five foot pole. That's how they hold hands, one, one on one side, one on the other side. And I am, like, I come home and I'm, I'm watching my girls watch this and I am watching the TV just, you know, just <laughs> like gagging and I'm going like, what are you doing? The Olympics is on only every four years. Like you can watch this terrible movie any day of the week. Like let's go. But as I started thinking about why I, I love the Olympics so much, I really think at the core of it is this idea that these athletes have worked so hard to get to this elite level in their life. I just love studying leaders, I love studying athletes, like what, what makes them great? And I think the tendency for us sometimes is to look at these athletes and to think, well, they just got there because they're, they're so talented. And I think that would be incorrect thinking. See, the more you really dig in life, you realize that they're there because they've had more discipline. They've outworked people that have had equal or even more talent in their life. I think the longer you live, you realize this, that success is less about talent and it's much more about discipline. And I also wanna, I wanna give you an example from the Olympic Games from this year. Okay, going into this year in, in women's weightlifting, there was a crazy favorite to win. It's, it's the weightlifter from China, her name's Liao Qulun, and no one, no one could beat her. I mean, this is the headline right before the Olympics from a website that says there is no stopping her from winning. No one can beat her. She's that talented. Now I wanna introduce you, and I'll have to make sure I pronounce her name right. Her name is Heidelin Diaz. All right, this is Heidelin Diaz from the Philippines. Now here's the thing about the Philippines. The Philippines has competed in the Olympics since 1924, and not once, one time have they ever won a gold medal. Not once in all those years. And Heidelin is competing in this event where no one can, be, can, 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 can like beat this number one competitor ahead of her. And in fact, in the Philippines, she even has more going against her because the Philippines is one of the hardest hit countries in the world last year because of COVID. In fact, all the gyms shut down and not even athletes that were training for the Olympics could go to the gym. She couldn't even go to the gym to train. So you know what she did? At home, she took bamboo sticks and water jugs and she began lifting at home just so she could continue to train. She out-trained, out-disciplined all her opponents. And guess who won the gold medal this year? Heidelin Diaz won the gold medal, the first gold medal ever for the Philippines. Is that not incredible, like incredible to see? It was her discipline, her discipline. 
See, I really believe this. Discipline trumps talent in almost every area of your life. And I really believe that's why when you read the New Testament, specifically the letters of Paul, that's why Paul uses so much Olympic athletic language to talk to us about how we need to discipline ourselves in growing our faith. Literally, it is littered throughout scripture. Paul uses Olympic language. And the reason he uses Olympic language is because during the New Testament, everyone in the New Testament times would have been familiar with the Olympics. The Olympics was played in Olympia, Greece during these times, and everybody knew about it. But during these times, there wasn't just one set of Olympic games played every four years. There was actually another set of Olympic games that was almost just as popular as the games played in Olympia, and they were called the Isthmian Games. Now, the Isthmian Games were played the year before and after the the Olympic Games in Olympia, Greece. They were crazy popular all across the region, and interestingly enough, they were played in an arena in the city of Corinth, which is the exact same city that Paul visited and started a church in and wrote to in first and second, can you guess? Corinthians, right? So when you read the book of Corinthians in the Bible, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, that is written to a group of people, a real group of people at a real city that, ha- that had an Olympic set of games every few years. And so Paul's gonna take the Olympics and he's gonna talk about that, about how we need to be more disciplined in our faith if we really wanna strive and thrive in our faith and in life. So just listen to the words Paul uses because it's the exact same words I think he'd speak to us today. He says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Don't you realize that in a race, he's talking about the Olympics that were played there in Corinth, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. And it's kind of like, well, duh, Paul. I mean, we, we all get that. We see the Olympic games. And because it's the Bible, what, what we kind of assume, because some of us assume the Bible's kind of soft, We assume that what Paul's gonna say next in the race is what some of you, your mom told you growing up, right? Like, honey, when you're you're going to compete in athletics or a race, like, do your best, but don't worry about winning and losing. Like, it's not a big deal. You just do your best. Everybody gets a trophy. (laughs) Like, some of us, we read the Bible, we think that's kind of what the Bible's gonna say. Paul doesn't say that. Listen to what he says. If you're gonna run a race, watch this. Run to win. Now I love that. I love that as a competitor because I'm like, well yeah, I mean if you're gonna run a race, why would you run not to win? But what I love about this language is Paul's not talking about a race. He's not talking about athletics. He's talking about our faith. He's saying if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus, The way you live out your faith, this Christian walk of life, in every area of life, whether it's your marriage or your singleness, or in your school, with your friendships, in your community, how you love people around you, how you reach out to people that don't know Jesus, in your walk, you run to win. You run to win. It's almost as if Paul is telling us, if Christianity was an Olympic sport, he's asking, where would you be? Would you be online? Would you be in the stands just kind of observing? Or would you be in the race, in the game, running to win? I hope you want that. You wanna run to win. And we would say, well, Paul, what do I have to do in my faith to really 
thrive in every area of my life. How can I run to win? And Paul tells us in the very next verse, he says, run to win. And then he says this, all athletes, he goes back to the Olympics again, all athletes are what? Say it out loud. They're disciplined. This is the point. You can't win in life without some discipline in your life. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. A gold medal at the end of your life will not matter in an Olympic or athletic sport. But what do we do in our faith? We do it for an eternal prize. There's eternal significance in our discipline in our life. And what we're gonna learn to do in this series, Shadow Boxing, is we're gonna learn to be disciplined. Learn how to run the race in your faith to win. And you might say this, you might say, well how did you come up with the word shadow boxing? I mean, what's, what's that all about? It's what Paul says in the very next verse, verse 26, watch this. He says, I, I run with purpose in every single step. Now watch what he says next. I am not just shadow boxing. Now I love that because the idea in this Greek word Paul used for shadow boxing Here's what the word actually means. Shadow boxing is the idea of being complacent and aimless in your faith. In other words, you're not in the ring anymore. You're on the sidelines, complacent, being aimless, swinging at nothing. Now, when, when I read that, when I was studying this passage of scripture, getting ready for this series, especially last year as we were looking at this, I read this, and I'm just gonna be personal, I'll, I'll be transparent. I got convicted myself. I thought, you know what? I wonder if I've become complacent in my faith. And here's why I thought that, and I just wonder if anyone here can relate. This past year was so incredibly hard and difficult on so many of us. Just in a moment of maybe honesty, I'd ask everyone to play along. If you're tired here today from just kind of everything that happened last year, you just say, I'm tired. Would you raise your hand? I'm raising mine. Like anybody else tired out there? You're just exhausted. Anybody else worn out from all the division and issues and things you see around you? Anybody in the midst of all that exhaustion feel like, you know what, I think I'm just kinda going through the motions in life. Have you become complacent? Complacency is one of the most dangerous places you can ever find yourself in life. Complacency kills marriages. Complacency destroys relationships. Complacency hurts your mental health. Complacency takes you away from the future that God has for you. And so what all of us have to do, I think because of this past year, is we need to be knocked out of, kicked out of, pushed forward, out of our complacency because I really believe this past year has been so hard, many of us have become complacent. So what we're gonna do in this series is we're gonna learn to not shadow box. 
We're not gonna shadow box anymore in our faith. We're gonna do what Paul says next in verse 27. He's, he says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should, whether I feel like it or not. Otherwise, I feel that my preaching to others, I myself might become disqualified. And we can become disqualified in many areas of our life if we don't learn to stop shadow boxing as well. And as we kick off this series today, I'm just gonna talk to you about one foundational place I think many of us have started to shadow box in our faith. And that is in the area of our commitment to regularly attending church, what we're doing right here every single weekend. Are you shadow boxing? Now listen, what I know is this. One of the one places, one, maybe the single place that Satan has utilized this past year to get us to shadow box is he's gotten many of us out of the rhythm of regularly attending the gathering of the church, the ecclesia, what we're doing right now. He's just got us out of the habit of regularly doing it. And I almost think in, in, in maybe his grand scheme and plan, maybe that was his grand plan from this past year, was to try to get you out of the habit of regularly being here. And I think what Satan does is he whispers in our ear, I think four different excuses that allow us or compel us to start shadow boxing in our faith when it comes to regular church attendance. And I'm gonna just talk about those four excuses today. If you're taking notes today, here's excuse number one, I think Satan whispers. Well, you know, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You ever, you ever, you ever said this before to yourself or maybe heard someone say this? Well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And I want you to know, listen, in one sense, this is absolutely correct. It's a very true statement. You need to know that you are saved by faith alone through Christ alone, period. Period. Even Ephesians tells us this in Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9, for it says it's, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's, it's a gift from God, not by works. You don't do anything to earn God's salvation ever. It is a free gift. So you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. It's true in one sense. But let's look at it biblically from another sense. I wonder how many of you here want to be married someday or you're married right now. And think about a marriage. What would you say if your spouse came home tomorrow and said, you know what I've decided? I don't have to come home anymore to be married to you. I don't have to come home anymore. I have a marriage certificate. I, I am married to you, but I don't have to come home anymore, period. So peace, see ya. <laughs> I heard one pastor put it this way. You don't have to come home to be married, but you stay away long enough and your relationship will crumble to pieces. Now some of you are thinking, what, what does marriage have to do with like the church and my relationship to the church? How many of you were here back in May when I talked about the analogy that scripture gives us between the church and marriage? Don't raise your hands because then you're gonna show me who wasn't here and that's kind of the point, right? <laughs> in scripture, one of the most powerful analogies we are given to understand the church and our relationship to the church is a marriage. 
It's all throughout scripture. Let me just show you from Ephesians chapter five, verse 31 and 32. It says, as the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. He's talking about marriage and the two become one. And then watch what Paul says next. He says, this is a great mystery. It's something you have to think and process about really deeply because watch what he says next. He says, this is an illustration. Marriage is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Marriage is this really, really powerful analogy that we're given. When Jesus left this earth, you need to know something. The only one thing he left for you to grow in your faith and to share his, his name with the world was the local church. It was created by him. It is plan A. There's no plan B. He loves the church so much, he calls the church his bride. Another marriage analogy. So we are to understand our relationship with the church to be modeled after his relationship with the church, which is this, this marriage analogy. And I think it's a really powerful analogy. Because if I just think about my own marriage, I've been married to my wife, Jamie, for almost 22 years now. And I love my wife. But I could not imagine what would happen to my marriage if tomorrow I told Jamie, you know what? I'm not gonna really come home every week anymore. It would crumble and fall apart. And the same thing happens to your life when you decide you don't really need the local church, you can just kinda stay away. It, your faith starts to crumble and fall apart because you've lost the discipline that we're told we need in scripture. What if Satan's grand plan what if his grand plan, his one thing he wanted to do in your life from this hard, the hard past year was just to get you out of the rhythm of being here at church? What if that was his one goal? And if he succeeds, your faith will fall apart and your life will start falling apart. See, please, hear me, come on. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You don't. But you cannot thrive as a Christian without the church. You can't, period. I mean, look at the weather this way. The goal of being a Christian isn't to get baptized, check a box, and get your get out of hell free card. <laughs> like that's not the goal of being a Christian. What's the goal of being a Christian? The goal of being a Christian in the Christian life is to become more like Jesus. That's the goal so you can thrive in every area of your life. So here's the question, right? Here's the question. If we are to be like Jesus, did Jesus attend a local church, his local church of his time, every single week, did he do it? Let's just look at scripture, that's the answer. Luke 4, 16, when he came, that's Jesus, to the village of Nazareth, this is just a part of his life, his boy at home, he went what? As usual, consistently, every single week, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood there to read the scriptures. Jesus went to the church, the synagogue, his church of his day, every single week of his life. And if we are to be like Jesus, we have to worship like Jesus, okay? That's excuse number one. Now here's what some of you are thinking. Well, I know, I'm gonna be there every week. I've just decided that, that it's easier for me to attend online to kind of do church on my own. I mean, I love to wake up, make a cup of coffee, I even have a specific scone that I get, and while you're preaching, I dip it in the coffee, I take a bite. It's just so comfortable. I mean, I've heard people say, I love 
Like, I just love being home and kind of just doing it on my own. And listen, I love that we have an online experience. We're not gonna stop our online experience. For some of you here today, your very first experience with CCV was kind of checking us out online. You got to check us out from afar, see if there's any wacky people there, you know. You got to kind of peer through the screen door before you came through our front door, and I love that. It's a great tool for that. Um, Some of you are online right now checking us out for the first time, and man, I love that, seriously. And I hope someday you you feel comfortable enough to come here because we we, we think you belong here, and you'll find people just like you, more like you, you than you can ever imagine. For some of you, when you travel, you're out of town. I love that you can stay connected to the local church when you're out of town. It's an amazing tool. But remember, the analogy for us to come back to is the analogy of marriage. Let's think about a marriage again. (laughs) Would a marriage or any relationship thrive if it existed primarily online? If I told my wife, hey, babe, I think it'd be better if I didn't come home anymore, but let me just FaceTime you every once in a while. (laughs) You know the answer. (laughs) No relationship thrives if it exists only online, especially in marriage, wow. But some of you just love to kinda like do things on your own. During the week, you might even watch online, you might watch a podcast. You might read a Christian book. You might listen to Christian music and say, that's my worship. I've even heard people say this. You know where I worship, Ashley? I worship on the golf course. That's where I worship God. I do. I've seen some of your golf swings. That's not worship, all right? That's not worship at all, all right? And some of you are like, well, yeah, but I use God's name on the golf course too. (laughs) That's not worship, okay? (laughs) All right. We are designed by God to do life in community. And if you think just consuming content on your own is gonna allow you to grow in your faith, you're shadow boxing. You're fooling yourself. God did not design you to be a consumer. God designed you to be in community, contributing to the life of the local church together. All of us know the power of what it feels like to be together versus sitting at home on your own. You know it because all of us got an experiment in it last year. And what we know in scripture, I taught you this back in May, let me just review. What we know in scripture is the word used for church all throughout the New Testament is one specific Greek word. It's the Greek word ekklesia, and ekklesia literally means a physical assembly or gathering of people with with a shared purpose. And and some people say, well, the church isn't a building, and I 100% agree, it's not a building. It's a gathering. The building just is a tool so we can gather so we don't have to sit out in 115 degree weather in Phoenix. It's a tool, but it is a gathering of people. And listen, if you're online right now and you're new and checking things out, you stay until you feel comfortable coming, but I promise you, we're, we're ready for you. I hope you show up to a CCV campus. If you're in a remote part of our city or, or world or, or somewhere else and, and there's not really a great church around you, like please keep joining in, please do. I mean, there's a group up in Cottonwood, Arizona we heard about recently that there was a, a one person or it might have been a couple that started joining in C- with CCB online and they finally realized this isn't church. We're just, doing, we're just doing things on our own. 
So they decided to get a group of people together in Cottonwood. They rented out a facility in Cottonwood and now they have about 50 people showing up every week doing church together. Is that not incredible? I love that. But for those of you that are near a CCV campus, you have no excuse for being here every single weekend that you are in town. So for some of you, let me just say this, it's time to get out of your PJs, get on your big boy pants, and let's come to church, all right? I'm challenging you to come to church. And listen, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that to guilt anybody. I'm saying that because as your pastor, I want what's best for you. I want what's best for you. And what's best for you is being a part of a gathering. And for those of you that worshiped online for a while during COVID and you came back, there were tears when people came back. Why were there tears when we gathered together? Because there's power in community. There's power in word together. It's how God designed it, all right? So that's, that's for some of you. Here's excuse number three. And this is gonna hit home. I wanna be there every week, but the kids have activities and sports and we just don't have time. Let me just talk to parents for just a moment and, and please hear my heart on this. We have three kids, all of our kids have played sports. When I grew up, all through high school, I played three varsity um, sports in, in high school. I went on to college on an athletic scholarship. I understand the demands and the schedule stuff with sports, I get it. But Proverbs has some advice for us parents, and we would be better listening to the advice of scripture than the advice of culture. And here's what Proverbs says. Proverbs says, train up a child in the way you should go. In other words, as a child's under your household, you have a short amount of time to train them under your care on how they should go. And watch, watch what he says, if we do it well, even when he is old, when your kids grow up, they will not depart from whatever you train them in. Parents, one day your kids will leave your house and they'll get married and they'll have kids of their own and they'll deal with all the demands of this world and culture and their workplace. I wanna tell you what will not train them to thrive in their marriage, as a parent, and in the workplace. How well they can hit a baseball, how many tournaments they won in a sport, and if they ever got a college scholarship. What will train them to become the man or woman that you want them to be is how connected they are to Jesus. And that's why I would challenge you to never, ever allow a sport or an activity to get in the way of your kids being connected and a part of the local church. I've been married, I told you, for almost 22 years, and I was an athlete. And that here I am, grown up. And I can't remember one time in my marriage that my wife has looked at me and said, you know what turns me on about you? <laughs> you know what holds our marriage together? When you hit those big drives off the tee box and I see it, man, I just, oh, that just, that's just everything to me. Like when you go low on a golf game, like it's, it's, it's everything about our marriage. <laughs> you know what holds our marriage together? Jesus and this local church, 
That's what holds our marriage together. And parents, if you miss church because of a kid's activity, do you know what you're training them in? You're training them that there is a sport that's more important than Jesus. That's what you're training them in, I promise you. In fact, in fact, what you're also training them in when you miss church for a sport is you're you're actually training them that they are the center of the universe and you base your whole schedule around them. And you know what most kids need to be trained in these days? You're not the center of the universe, Jesus is, right? Our kids aren't, they're not. So hey, I'm not knocking sports. I'm the biggest fan of getting your kids in sports. There's great life lessons, get them in sports. We have a whole ministry here at church called STARS, which is a sports ministry that's designed to teach your kids not only you know, life lessons, but you know, faith lessons, and we design STARS to where you can participate in STARS, but not you know, take away from church. That's how we design the whole program. So, so listen, I'm not against sports, I'm just saying don't ever let it come in competition with what you really wanna train your kids in to thrive in life, which is to be centered on Jesus. And I know this because, listen, this is a picture of, of me growing up at my little teeny 100-person country church in Wilcox, Arizona. This is me right here. I, I, really, I really thought my outfit choice this day was really good. Um, you, you never go wrong with a sweater vest. Uh, <laughs> Still wondering why I didn't have more dates at this age, you know, uh, more ladies coming along. But this is my mom and dad. We had four siblings, my grandma. My dad was a teacher in our local, local high school, and he coached football and golf, the varsity football and golf teams. We were busy like crazy. Our local church preaching wasn't very good. Music was pretty terrible. I begged not to go to church, like begged my parents many times not to go to church. And growing up, I cannot remember one time, one time that we were in town that our family missed going to a local church, to our local church. And I believe today the man I am today, the dad I am, the husband I am today is because of two parents that wouldn't compromise for anything to keep us connected to the local church. And so I'm just gonna talk to a parent here today. You may have to make a major change in your schedule and life to prioritize a local church, and it will be the greatest decision you've ever made, as hard as it seems with your kids. And because school just started for many of you, now's the time to make a schedule change and commitment. I'm just begging you parents, don't get 10, 15, 20 years down the road and look back and say, we should have changed things. Now's the time to change. Let me talk about the fourth excuse. And here it is for some of you. We feel shame for what we've done and church feels uncomfortable. This is the one that breaks my heart the most and actually I think it breaks God's heart the most. See for some of us what happens is in our lives, all of us are sinners. I'm a sinner, I sin every single week, sin every single day. There's sometimes in our life we've we've done something that feels so, so shameful that the thought of going to church, it feels uncomfortable. We think, well, God's mad at me and Satan's whispered in your ear, you don't need it. you don't belong there. Look what you did. And our shame keeps us away. I'm telling you, this happens to so many people. And we know it does. It's been happening for the history of the world because we know in Genesis chapter three when Adam and Eve, the first humans on earth, sinned for the very first time, they felt shame. And in their shame, what did they do? They ran from God. They ran and tried to hide from God, and we have been hiding from God in our shame ever since. And sometimes we think, well, we can't go to church, I mean, look what I've done. 
When Adam and Eve sinned and they ran from God, what did God do? He pursued them. And when he pursued them and he found them, listen to what he said. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and his wife, and and what did he do for them? Say it out loud. He clothed them. He covered them. This is such a powerful analogy because when God sent Jesus to die on the cross and shed his blood for all of us, what we know is that the blood of Jesus covers our sin. It covers our shame. And that is why you should never, ever let your shame keep you away from God. God wants you to bring your shame so he can cover it with the blood of Jesus. It's actually why we take communion every week here at CCV as a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. We take a little piece of bread and a cup of juice to remind us that no matter what we've done, because all of us have messed up, we bring our shame to God and he covers it. And Satan uses shame as one of his number one tools to pull you away from God. So when you feel shame, the last place you should be is at home or away from church. You need to be here to be reminded of who God is, how much he loves you in the midst of anything you've ever done. I wonder what God is speaking in your life today. I wonder if one of those excuses you've fallen prey to and you would just say very honestly today, I've become complacent in my faith, I've lost discipline, it's because I'm exhausted and I've got in some bad habits. And I believe God has you here today to say it's time to stop shadow boxing in your faith. And it's time to take this very simple commitment of being here every single week very seriously. And so I wanna ask you to make one of four commitments today because the first one, some of you would say, well, I I am here every week. I'm here every week. And I would tell you, you stay consistent and don't become complacent because complacency is the enemy of growth. And it's easy to become complacent, I promise you. It's easy to become complacent, so you stand strong if that's you here today. And you re-up, re-up your commitment to being here with your family. For some of you that know you haven't been consistent, I wanna ask you to make a commitment that when you're in town, that you will be here every single week, no excuses, no excuses. You just make that commitment and make a commitment with someone else or with someone else's here with you and say, we're gonna be here every week. For some of you that have been online, you need to move from online to in-person so that God can start transforming your life to a greater degree, really. When you're here, do it. And for those of you that know shame has kept you away and you're sitting here today, you know it, You need to tell yourself over and over again this phrase, I belong here, I belong here. God wants me here, I belong here, and no matter what I've done. I wanna give you some time during communion today to just, in a a time with God, just make whatever commitment you need to make here with God today. Communion's where we remember what God did for us. But before we take communion, and I'm gonna give you space to do it, before we take communion, I want you to hear the real life story of a man and woman who realized they were shadow boxing in their faith and decided to make the commitment to be here every single week and watch what God did in their life. Watch this. My wife and I moved to uh, West Valley in February 2018 I moved in on a Wednesday, and by Saturday, my wife attended her first service at CCV. 
he was very anti-church and anti-Christian and very anti, don't put any Christian music on and I don't wanna hear your story about the Bible. And I, there's just so many hypocrites out there and I don't wanna have anything to do with any of that. I grew up in the church and I always wanted a husband that would attend with me, one who would say, everyone get in the car, come on kiddos, let's get in the car, let's go. I wanted someone who would pray with me and for me. For the next year, uh, I worked Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, 12 hour days, and I always had an excuse not to attend. Shortly after that, I quit my job and the first thing she said was, we're going to church and I had no excuse. So when I walked in, I was a little bit hesitant and uncomfortable like the first time attending a gym. I was real defensive and I was hypervigilant trying to take everything in. And all I kept saying in my mind, well, it's only one hour, it's only one hour, it's only one hour. Seven months later, I attended again and people that my wife had introduced me to the first time remembered who I was and were thankful that I was there again because those people were so open and receiving. I relaxed and wanted to attend a little more. By the third or fourth time I attended, I realized that these are my people. These are people just like me, going through the same problems I'm going through, have the same goals and ambitions for their family as me. This was 2019, and it opened me up to attend more until um, COVID hit. And we didn't attend again until I watched my wife's uh, spiritual health decline. And by September, October, I told her, we don't have a choice anymore. We have to attend. So the third week of October, of 2020, we sat down for our first service in seven months, and it was the last uh, episode in the Lead Like Jesus series, Legacy of a Leader. And I listened to the service and realized that as the patriarch of my family, I had to step up and lead my family towards Christ. So I made a conscious effort to attend every chance I could but because of my job as a truck driver, um, getting home on Saturday when the family attended wasn't always a possibility. So in December, I sat down with my boss and said, I, I love working for this company, but I absolutely positively have to be home on Saturdays in Phoenix from 3 to 5.30. And my company is awesome, and they told me no problem, and we have not missed a service since. My husband said, I'm not working on Saturdays. We are going to church together as a family. I told my boss, I'm not working on Saturdays. I felt like we were his priority, that God was his priority, church was his priority, and that work came second. And I never thought I would see that. As far as the service goes, there'll be one thing that's said that I'll, call, I'll have an aha moment. And one of the biggest aha moments I had, um, which spoke about my upbringing, 
was when Ashley said, this is a hospital, not a country club. And the moment he said it, I was like, thank you. I've waited all my life to hear somebody say that. It was a big deal because I, I figured out that I, I was finally home. This was where I needed to be. It's a big moment. I had been praying for my husband for 17 years and that I was just ready to give up. I didn't think it was going to happen. He was very resistant. And my friend um, said, oh, don't give up, don't give up. People don't give up, don't give up. He, he's all in. God's made a huge, huge impact on our family and on our lives. <laughs> 